You know, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at the fruit we bear from the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And the truth of it is, as I keep reminding you, we're not bearing fruit separated out like we're studying it. You know, we've been looking at it as one, two, and three kind of uh, characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. But what happens is you're, you're given the Holy Spirit and you begin to bear fruit. And last week, as we were studying those, you know, we looked at some of the ones that we felt like were kind of waiting to hammer us, right? You know, the idea of, of living with patience and kindness and, and those types of things. And this week, we come to faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we have done, what I really want to do is start with verse 16 in Galatians chapter 5. And I want to read all the way to verse 26, because I think it just gives us the context. And if you haven't been here for the other uh, three times we've looked at this passage of scripture, this helps you to see that a little bit clearer, I believe. So read with me from the scripture, if you don't mind. I say then, walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, envy drunkenness, carousing, anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When we come to these last three characteristics of the person who's being controlled by the Spirit, I don't know if you've felt a little bit more of a spotlight on your life as we've been looking at these things, but I've certainly felt it on my life. And, and the scripture says that what happens is the, the flesh and the spirit are opposed to one another and they don't ever work together. The, the, the one never works with the other. The flesh is constantly trying to derail us from living the life that is controlled or filled by the spirit. And, and it's very difficult for us to sometimes see that that's what's happening because there are a lot of things that happen in our appetites or our flesh that are natural and maybe not unwholesome. And we're gonna look at some of those today and see how under the control of the Holy Spirit, they're just blessed by God. But what happens is when we allow the flesh to dictate what the Spirit does, it doesn't work, right? If the flesh is in control and the Spirit is subservient to the flesh, you're always playing catch up, aren't you? That's why the scripture says we have to crucify the desires of the flesh. And for every one of us, that is a day by day, moment by moment thing. It, it doesn't happen once and for all. Oh, that it did. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if what happened in your life and in my life is that once you came to know Christ and you submitted yourself to the scripture and to Christ, you just didn't have to worry about these things anymore. And that was just a, a whole part of your past and not a part of your future and not a part of your present, but that is not how it is. Being filled with the spirit, 
allows us to continually crucify the desires of the flesh. But here's what happens, isn't it? When we give in to the flesh and its appetites, and we let it control our thinking, living, and acting, all of a sudden the spirit is being diminished in our lives. So let's look at these with that in mind today. And I do want to give you just kind of a, a heads up on a couple of these there are a couple of these that are a little bit hard to translate in English. And all of our Bibles, I'm, I'm all, I should have said this earlier, and I try to remind you of this, but I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version of the Bible. It's called the CSB. And I do that because our Sunday school material comes in the CSB and the King James Version. And I don't like trying to interpret English for you. You know, I mean, it's just, it's hard to do. So, so we picked the CSB instead of the, the KJV. We used to read from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. Great translation of the Bible, love it. But when our Sunday school material started coming with the CSB, I just adopted it for us here. So if you're reading a little bit different this morning, that may explain some of these translations. It's a little hard to do. And we're gonna look at, multi-facets of some of these words. So we start with faithfulness, and this is one right off the bat, is that it might surprise you to know that the word faithfulness is the exact same word in your Bible as faith. And so it's very hard sometimes for us to be able to translate, is it, is it faithfulness, is it faith? But I think what our translators have done for us, which is accurate and correct, is that when you look at some of these things like meekness, gentleness, you know, kindness, it's just easy to throw the, 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 uh, the, the suffix on the end of the word there and make it make sense for us. But I, I want you to think about this. The word literally means to have a state of certainty with regard to belief. When you have faith in something, you have a, a certain sense of certainty and assurance about that so that you can believe that belief is right and true. And that's uh, something that I think most of the time, we don't think about living in the present with faith as much as we think about living in the past with faith. And you say, well, why is that, Pastor? Well, it's because we think about it in terms of salvation. Could I read this passage of scripture for you from Ephesians chapter two and verse eight? It says, you are saved by grace through faith. And this isn't from yourself, it is God's gift. And when we think about it like that, it makes sense, doesn't it? It is that we're saved by grace through faith. Now that, that scripture means something very important for us today. It means that we're not saved by our works. You will not be saved by having good church attendance. I, I hate it when I have to say that to you because I want you to be here all the time, you know? I really do. But that's not gonna save you and I can't hold that over your head. You know, like you, you gotta be here or else, you know, it just doesn't work that way. But what I can tell you is that saved people wanna be around saved people and they show up for church. You know what I'm saying? So that, that happens. But when we say that we're saved by grace, it's not that my report card gets presented to the Lord and he gets excited about it. It doesn't work that way. What happens is I'm saved by grace but it's through faith I have a certainty of belief in something, or in our case, what we would say in someone. Saved by grace through faith. Romans 10 and verse nine says it like this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe, God raised him from the dead. Same, same idea, belief, to believe. It's the, it's the idea that our faith is placed in someone and that someone is Christ, that Jesus Christ, God's own son, came and lived a perfect life for us. He never sinned. He went to the cross in our place. 
And the Bible says that those who place their faith, their belief in him, that he is who he said he is, that he lived how he said he lived, and that he's coming back one day, that if we place our faith in him, that we can be saved. And that's what the gospel essentially is. That's the good news for all mankind. You don't have to worry about trying to be good enough. You don't have to earn salvation. You can't buy salvation. You place your faith in Jesus and you're saved. So this is funny because this is one of the few words that we've looked at in bearing fruit that starts at the beginning of our journey with the Lord and it carries us all the way through. It doesn't just start and stop with salvation. It starts there, but it goes forward. You might remember Hebrews chapter 11. I won't read it all for you, but if you went back and looked at it, you would see over and over again, by faith, Moses, by faith, Noah, by faith, uh, Abel, by faith, Gideon, by faith, by faith. I mean, it just keeps going on and on and on that these saints of old, they did these great things that God was calling them to by what? By faith. So when the Holy Spirit is in control of my life, it starts to make me faithful. It starts to bring up faith. The Holy, I'm saying it, and that's wrong. The Holy Spirit's a person, not an it. Sorry about that. Uh, if I do that again, know that I meant to not do it, okay? So the Holy Spirit in our lives grows faith, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit, as he works in our lives, he begins to grow faith. So it's not just the faith that we need to be saved, but it's the faith of every great thing that God does in our lives. It, it, it all boils down to this. I think the test of faith comes to every true believer, doesn't it? Circumstances try your faith. They, they set you in a, in a spot where, where you don't know the outcome of something and all you can rely on is the certainty of your belief that Jesus Christ has saved you and that God is in control and that we can trust him in the midst of difficult and trying situations. As we walk with the Spirit, it says that we're having this characteristic of the Holy Spirit, of God the Father, of Christ in our lives, that we are faithful. I think oftentimes the opposite of this is true in our lives. We come up against something, we face an obstacle, we face a trying circumstance, and we start running to fear. Fear in a believer's life is not faith. Now, I'm not talking about if you're walking around the neighborhood and a dog charges you that you should just be like, I stand in faith. It's all right to be afraid then, right? I mean, that's a real thing. There's a, there's a response, a, a, a fight or flight response that happens in your life. I and mean, I'm not saying that we walk around, you know, kind of crazy in the face of danger. This is not the sermon to tell you, you know, to go walk the high wire and just believe. That's not it. That's crazy. That's not faith. If you haven't been trained in that, if you haven't studied that, that, that's crazy, right? But oftentimes in our circumstances, what do we do? We start running scenarios. Do you ever run scenarios in your mind? Or is it just me? Oh, there's a laugh or two. That means there's a couple of truthful people in here, right? You, you run scenarios in your mind. My wife will tell you that oftentimes I will say, it's just bad. That's just really bad. What does that mean? Is it bad because a circumstance has happened that God is not present in? Are things bad because God's arm has gotten shorter and he can't reach out and change a situation? 
Is it such that our own mind controls our thoughts and, and we don't allow the spirit of God to control our thoughts, control our lives? And so we run up against these things and we start running scenarios. Well, God could never do this. I don't know how it's gonna work out. I don't know. Well, a faithful person may not know the answer of the outcome, but we know the God who supplies the answer and we can be steadfast even in uncertainty, can't we? This year, one of the things that we were doing was as we mentioned to you, is that we were trying to make some decisions about budgeting and some different things like that. And one of the things that we had to do at our church was stop something that's been very near and dear to my heart, and that's an accelerated payment against our debt. We, we, we've been doing so good at that, and I just didn't want to stop doing that. And, and it just came down to it, we just felt like we needed to. But the Lord kind of spoke to me and just said, like, you don't think that I can take care of this and supply for the debt? Do I have the cattle on a thousand hills? Did you read that? Have you preached that? And I was like, that must have been somebody else. I don't know if I believe it anymore, Lord. Well, that's silly, isn't it? Why wouldn't we pray in faith that God would supply all of our needs through Christ Jesus? Because that's what he said he's going to do. And so I hope you'll join me in that. Would you join me in faith this year and just praying that God will give us everything we need and then he'll give us a bunch extra that we can just put towards our debt and we won't have to worry about it. Let's just pray for it. Let's just ask God to do it. And you, you know what some of you just said? But there's a recession coming. I know that. I've thought about that too, a lot. You know? But that's not faith, is it? That, 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 that's looking at, at economics. And, and I'm not saying we should be foolish in those things. But faith looks at that and says, God is bigger than everything that we're facing. Let's just trust him. Let's believe that he will give us exactly what we need and he will lead us as we need to go. So I don't know what you're facing this morning, but maybe you should go back. And, and I, I just find it, I mean, I, you know, I say this to you often, but we often say one thing and then we act crazy in another. And here's what I mean. I believe that Jesus can save me. Yes, amen. But I'll tell you, I don't believe I can tithe. God will not provide for my needs. Really? So you'll trust him for eternity, but not with 50 bucks this week? Wow. I mean, one seems way heavier than the other, doesn't it? I mean, but that's what we do, isn't it? We look at these things and, and we find ourselves struggling in those things. And, and we need to believe God is faithful in salvation towards us and we place our faith in him. And that's crucial for the growing Christian then to continue to be faithful, consistent in belief. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. How do we believe these things? Is it because we're so smart we figured it out? No. It's because the Holy Spirit ministers to us and speaks to us. And as he does that, he makes us faithful. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not be chicken little running around. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. You won't be that person. Won't happen. You will be faithful to believe what God is speaking. And that leads us to obedience, right? Because when I read the scripture and you read the scripture, doesn't the test of faith happen over and over and over again? You read it and you go, is that real? I mean, is that real? Can, can I believe that? Can I believe that God did that? Can I believe that Jesus was really born of a virgin? Can I believe that Jesus is coming back? Everybody's believed that. But he hasn't come back. Maybe we shouldn't believe that anymore. Is that how we're going to be? No. It's the Holy Spirit ministering to us that makes us faithfully obedient to the scripture so that we can trust God's promises and not doubt. Faithful people keep going, little by little. 
If I could leave you with one thing about the Holy Spirit's ministry in your life to be faithful, I think one thing I would say to all of us is that we often discount what God is doing in our lives because it doesn't seem maybe to be the big splash that we read about in like Hebrews 11. Well, I mean, I never fought an army with just a couple hundred guys like Gideon. and I never built an ark and saw God. I mean, I, what have I done for the Lord? But you know, it's amazing what someone who is faithful day by day by day by day can accomplish in just a year. It's amazing what that same faith will accomplish in five years. It's amazing what that same faith will accomplish in a hundred years. But I think sometimes the way we want to act in our relationship to the Lord is that we, we kind of don't want to do the, the little bit of investing. You, you know what I mean? You're, if you had a financial planner, he would tell you to invest steadily in the market, little by little, little by little. But a lot of us are just waiting on some rich aunt that we've never met to die and just lead us, leave us a bunch of stuff. And if that happens to you, come see me. We're going to put it on the building debt. But if it doesn't, keep investing faithfully, right? I mean, the point is, Little by little with the Lord equals a lot. Little by little in faithful obedience with the Lord equals so much. And you may feel like, I mean, I don't have a whole lot in front of me to do today, Pastor. It's, it doesn't seem like it's that crucial, but it is. Just to be faithfully obedient today. To faithfully believe that God is who he is and that what he says in his word is true and to obey that and to live it is massive. So let us be faithful. The scripture then says for us to be gentle, gentleness. And this is a, a tricky one to translate in English as well, but it, not just because it, like in faith, it's faith and faithful and they're used interchangeably, but this word could mean meekness and or humility. And I think it's both. I, I think it encapsulates some great things for us when we think about that. When the spirit is working in our lives, faithful people, it leads to a gentle Spirit. You know, Jesus was described by both of these shadings of this word. It said that he was meek and lowly in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. And if you think about Jesus's characteristics and our lives being a reflection of those things, then this should be one of those that we really look at and see and spend a little more time modeling than we probably do. Do you know Jesus was never worried about being first in line? You are. When you go to the grocery store, what's the first thing you do? Get your groceries and you start looking at all the lines. And if you have to knock over some poor soul to get in the front, you'll do it and say, excuse me, but you didn't mean it. We do these kinds of things. I have to be first. I have to get in the car and race down the interstate and cut people off and I have to be first and I gotta be first in the checkout and first to get home and first, first, first and I wanna be first at work and I want everybody to notice my accomplishments and I want them to think about me. And I... Jesus was never in a hurry anywhere he went. Isn't that funny? He was never in a hurry. Did you notice that when you read the scripture this year? Maybe you're reading through the Bible. You know what the scripture never says is Jesus was like, let's get to it. Come on, move it, get in the boat, we're late, let's go. Come on, let's go. He, that's not him. Jesus was always on time everywhere he went. He was never about his own agenda because he constantly said, I'm here to do the will of my father. 
He, he wasn't trying to make his fame known. Every time he would do a miracle, he told people, don't, don't tell people this stuff. Keep it to yourself. Yeah, right. I was blind and now I can see and I'm just supposed to like walk around. Everybody's like, what happened? Nothing. You know, you understand why people were telling everybody, right? And they were excited about what God was doing in their lives. And yet Jesus was always meek and lowly because he came to serve. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve the scripture says. He was always looking for that person that needed something from him or needed to be with him. And he went places that, that weren't resume building. You know, he, he hung out with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. I mean, he hung out with a rough and rowdy crowd in the places that he went. And, and it was never about him. He wasn't trying to build his own following. He was pointing people to the Father, meek and lowly. Think about the power that Jesus possessed and how he used it. It was under control. It was never for his own glory. Jesus was never trying to say, look what I just did. I, I just healed a bunch of people. You ought to look at me. This is incredible. I have the power. He never did that. His power was not for his own. And I think so many times we, we don't understand that about ourselves. We, we have these gifts and abilities and we often kind of confuse, don't we, the flesh and the spirit. The spirit points those gifts and abilities, what God's given us, to the Father's credit. The flesh loves it when people pat us on the back. Oh, you are great. I like to hear that. Do you? Good job. Man, you are so smart. Don't you like to hear those things? Jesus was never worried about those things. Anytime somebody tried to say something to him like that, he pointed them right to the Father because he was always about the Father's business. His power was never used for his own glory. His power was never used to abuse anyone. Think about that. Jesus never lorded it over anyone. In fact, he told the disciples, the Gentiles lord over their people. Their rulers are, are, are rough on their people. Don't be that way. You know, we often talk about this. Uh, we'll be doing an ordination for upcoming pastor in the, in the first part of the year. We've been working on getting his ordination council together. And one of the things that we'll talk about is that your job as a pastor is to shepherd the people and serve the Lord, right? Because if you confuse that, things get a little goofy, don't they? Because if you just try to serve the people, and boy, you're sitting out there, you might think, I'd like to be served. That sounds great. Not our job. Not to make you happy, sorry. Our job is to make the Lord happy, right? To serve the Lord and shepherd the people. That's what Jesus did. He didn't lord it over his people. He, he, he didn't beat them into submission. He, he, he never used them for his own sake. And for the scripture to talk about us being gentle, think about those two words. For us to be humble and meek would be to interact with people by making people the focus. What would your job be like if tomorrow you walked in and surprised everybody by saying, what can I do for you today? How can I help you? I bet there's some people that have worked with some of you for a long time who might go, is it April Fool's? Who are you and what have you done with my friend? Because normally when you walk in, you say, help me do this or do that for me or whatever. I mean, but that's not how Jesus acted. And for us to make people the focus means that uh, the spotlight is off us immediately and it's about others. And when we're serving people with humility and meekness, 
It doesn't mean that we become a doormat. See, that's, I think that's one of the, the rough things about the idea of meekness is, you know, Jesus was never anyone's doormat. That's not the idea is just lay down and let people walk all over you and that'll make you just like Jesus. No, that's not how he was. He had strength, but it was always under control. He was always thinking about others, never using that for his own glory, his own purposes. And for us to go to work and do that would be amazing. And I just want to remind you of something because this is a characteristic that I think a lot of us just run right by because our culture says that this is weakness. I want you to read Matthew chapter five and verse five. Blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. That passage of scripture is from the Beatitudes. You know who said it? Jesus. He was beginning the Sermon on the Mount and as he begins to, to teach these blessings to people, do you remember that we did a sermon a while back called hashtag blessed where, where we use that word so wrong? You know, most people are like hashtag blessed got a raise. I mean, that, okay. Not exactly what Jesus was talking about. Hashtag you'll be blessed when you do what Jesus does. Hashtag you'll be blessed when you're humble. The scripture has a lot to say about that, doesn't it? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Right? When, when we walk in humility, it's not that we forget ourselves, but we put ourselves in the proper spot. It's not false humility. I always find that interesting because that's a, a difficult line to walk, isn't it? Have you ever met somebody who's clearly awesome at something and you say, man, that was amazing. They're like, oh, no, I'm not really that good. That's a lie. No, you are good. You know what you should say if somebody ever says that to you? Thank you. Glory to God. He's given me the gift to be able to do this. And I'm so grateful. Just say thank you. No, don't walk in false humility. Just, just walk in honesty. Put yourself in the proper place. Our place should be following the master and, and walking in the way that he teaches us to walk in gentleness. So this idea that humility and meekness should be there. Our strength should always be under control and our humility should ever go before us because our place is, is not to have the first seat. I was reading the book of James this week in my daily devotion and I love James chapter two, uh, you know, where it's talking about making sure you're not showing partiality to people and that kind of correlates to in Luke, when Jesus is talking about making sure you don't take the place of honor when you walk in someplace. You know, you walk into a, to a wedding or something and you sit at the head table only for somebody to come and look at you and go, boy, I hate that you're here in this spot because the governor's actually coming. You gotta go over here. And then you gotta get up all embarrassed and walk. And so then Jesus said, take the place that is not about honor and let others honor you. We don't have to be our own mouthpiece. We don't have to be our own promoter. We can walk with all of our abilities, all of our, our gifts, not building ourselves up, but building others up and edifying them. That makes the body better, the church better, and serving the Lord in that way. The final one for us, I think, is just as maybe overlooked as the last one, and it's self-control. Self-controlled. We live in an out-of-control world where there is nothing that might stand out more than someone who walks in self-control. You know, it's one of those things that I think becomes 
really important for us because this really speaks to how we're living with the appetites of our flesh. I want you to just read this passage of scripture from 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice at the very end in verse eight where he says this, he says, make sure that you're following these things. And the list has some overlap, doesn't it? I mean, you look at that and you're like, man, that's the fruit of the spirit again. And then he says, make sure that you're not useless. Wow. Have you ever been called useless? I grew up in the country and that was a term that was thrown around all the time. You're useless. Come on, get up and do something, man. Jesus says through Peter, don't be useless. And he says, don't be unfruitful in your knowledge. Now, this is important for us to see. You can have knowledge about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can have knowledge about the book, but these characteristics of the Holy Spirit in your life make you useful to the kingdom and fruitful in the kingdom. It it keeps you from being useless and unfruitful. And we're going to see next week that every branch that is unfruitful, guess what happens? They're cut off and moved out of the way so that other branches that are bearing fruit may be pruned back and have room to grow, room to bear fruit. So what the scripture is saying there is this is important. It's not just to have knowledge about the Lord. It's not just to have that. It's to walk in these things, walk in the characteristics under the control of the Holy Spirit so that in our lives we won't be those kinds of people who know everything but are no good to the kingdom. You were called to bear fruit. That word self-control is the same word that Paul uses in his letter to the Corinthians when he tells widows to marry if they're unable to be controlled in their passions. What he's saying is, If you have been married and your husband has passed and and you find yourself wanting to be married and wanting to have an intimate relationship, again, there's a way to do that and you do that through marriage. In fact, he says it like this, it's better for you to be married than it is for you to just sit in the passion and burn. If you can't exercise self-control, there's a way to do the right thing. And that's a great definition for us When we think about self-control, it's bringing our passions under control through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's very important that you caught that last little phrase, through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people in the world who have self-control. They're all gonna show up at the office Christmas party and they're a bore because they won't eat anything, because they're on the diet, they're working out tomorrow. Not me. If you have a Christmas party, I'll be there. If there's ice cream, I'll eat it. You know what I mean? I'll work out the next day. We'll figure it out. You see what I'm saying? It's it's those kinds of people. You can be a a self-controlled person, a disciplined person in areas of your life without the control of the Holy Spirit by being self-determined. But it's so much more than that. It's your passions being controlled through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I want to think about this word passions for just a minute because oftentimes we just see these things negatively. And that's just not how it is. You have passions for things and, and things that stir your emotions and, and things that you want to do. And, and God gives us those passions and under the control of the Holy Spirit, they're absolutely wonderful. I mean, think about this for a second. A passion to work is godly. That's a great thing. You should work. In fact, the scripture says that if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. You should work. We shouldn't be lazy people. That, 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 that's, that's a passion that needs self-control to get it out of our lives, right? So that we get discipline there and go to work. Now, you, you might have, have a passion to play. I mean, that's a great thing. I think God is satisfied when he sees us enjoying the creation that he's made. And I love to see you happy doing all the things that you love to do. I love when I go downstairs and I get to watch our preschoolers playing in the playroom. I love it. It's awesome. It's great watching them take those little cars and, and ride them around. And I used to love watching my kids ride those, they have these little motorcycles they ride around. And we couldn't keep a pair of shoes but about four weeks around here because my son was wearing the holes in his shoes. And you know, I wasn't mad about that. I was happy about it because he was playing. He was loving life and enjoying those kinds of things. God gives us that. We should enjoy it. Our passion to love and, and to be in a relationship that expresses that love and intimacy between a man and a woman in marriage is a wonderful thing. Nothing wrong with that. But I want you to think about what happens when our passions are out of control. When our passions are out of the control of the Holy Spirit, guess what happens? Now they're not things that God is pleased with, they're things that Satan is pleased with and we're in bondage to them. You know, Satan doesn't create things. He doesn't have that ability. Have you thought about that? He can only take something that God has created for good and modify it, right? That's what he does. He can't speak truth into existence, so he takes the truth and he makes it a lie. He can't create passion that's good, so he takes passions that are good that God has given us and he just twists them ever so slightly until he's got you. So work becomes an obsession and it becomes your identity and it becomes everything. Your family, God gave you a family, but when that becomes your identity and it becomes an obsession, it's wrong. Now play, when it becomes your purpose in life, seeks to be in the place that God wants it to be. You ought to go out and enjoy God's creation. But if you find yourself where you're out enjoying God's creation so much that, that you've missed the worship of God week after week after week, something is dramatically missing in your life. You're worshiping the created thing instead of the creator. Love that God gives us. It's to be enjoyed at the highest and deepest level. And God gives us that in a relationship and says, have all of that that you want in the confines of a marriage. I've, I've given it to you in the best way. And Satan says, is it really? And if you pursue outside of God's boundaries in that with self-control being thrown off, what starts to happen is you don't even realize you're in bondage to those things and back in sin. Guys, it could be with anything. Spending, vacations, you name it, pick it. You're gonna go spend money this week. Good, I hope that you do. 
You need to make money this week. Good. I hope that you do. You need to enjoy God's creation. Good. I hope that you do. But do it under the control of the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to put that roadblock in your life that says, this isn't going right. You're taking this and it's, it's going too far. It needs to be brought back in. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you in those ways. So again, how do we exhibit these characteristics? It's through the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's just where you go before the Lord day by day. God, fill me today. I want the presence of the Holy Spirit filling my life. I want to crucify the desires of the flesh. I don't want to give in to that. If I have today, Lord, I repent and I want you to fill me again. Wash me, make me clean, whiter than snow. Let me feel the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to be faithful today, to be gentle in my interactions today, to live in self-control. Lord, help me to do those things. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads this morning and we're going to enter into a time of response. And as always, I wanna invite you to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to place your faith in him. Believing that he is the Messiah, the Son of God who came and took the sins of the world to the cross where he was crucified, buried in a grave but rose after three days and has ascended to heaven where he awaits the Father's orders to come back. All of us have a choice. You may think you have a third choice, but you really only have two. It's trust Jesus or not. But as one of my friends says, a lot of people are spending time here on earth believing that they get to stay here forever, but you don't. That's not option three. Would you choose Christ today? Place your faith in him. Listen to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit draws you to him. Yield your life to the Holy Spirit. Place your faith in Christ Jesus. For those of us who are in Christ this morning and believers, would you submit your life to the Holy Spirit to be a faithful person, not living in fear, to walk by faith, not by sight, to walk in humility and meekness so that your gentleness is known to all, to live in the self-control of the Holy Spirit. Father, for many of us in the room, as we've read this, there's been something in our lives that the Holy Spirit has brought to our attention that needs your attention, Lord. Fill us. Forgive us for walking by the flesh and gratifying the desires of the flesh, not crucifying those desires. Lord, help us. We are weak, but you are strong. I pray for every man and woman in this room that you would fill us with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Help us crucify the desires of the flesh to be faithful and gentle and exhibit self-control in all things. Lord, we ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen.